Father, those times of intimacy are so powerful. Those times of being alone without being lonely are so powerful. Those times where we can sit down and be with you and it's just you and us. And we can tell you what's on our heart. Those times are the most beautiful times. Once again, Happy New Year to you. It's always good to have you here at the beginning of the year. There are so many things that have taken place in just a few short weeks that I am looking forward to bringing you uh, the word today out of the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And in that fifth chapter, we are speaking about the house codes. And in order for you to get a pretty good grasp of this second message in the fifth chapter, I trust that you would check with some of our leadership here and see if you can get the first message because it's in a three-part message. And in this three-part message, we're talking about house, codes, family, marriage, which is something that the world has, in a postmodern thinking, challenged within the Christian church. And so Paul finds himself in this fifth chapter from verses 22, 23, and 24, bringing a language that had not been spoken previously. And what we're going to do today is I'm going to read from what you would call verse 21, and I'm going to read all the way through to chapter 6, verse 4. Now, why do I want to do that? Simply because as he begins to address the woman, the wife, he's addressing not only her, but he's addressing the husband. And he's also addressing the children. But then he moves on beyond the family, begins to address masters and slaves, in other words, employer and employees. And there's a code here by which that holds society together. And so even though our text is going to be really homing in on verse 23, we're going to see it in the whole context of how it is written. Now, all of these scriptures will not come up on your screen. But in chapter 5, verse 21, it says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, 
he himself being the savior of the body. Now that's what we're going to camp our discussion today. And then it says in verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And then it goes on and it addresses the husbands before it gets to the children. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We'll be coming back to that one. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. Now, in the next uh, verses, all the way from verse 1 to uh, verse 6, he is not only addressing children, but he begins to address masters and slaves, which in this day would be employer. And employees. Now, why do we say household part two? Because in part one, there was a subject we had to deal with, which was the word subjection, which basically means placing yourself in a place by which this other person can become the best that they could be in Christ. That's what subjection basically means. What we laid the groundwork for last week was that these things have nothing to do with value, with worth, identity, or anything of that nature. It has everything to do with God's order, and it has everything to do with God's design for marriage, God's design for the household. And so he speaks directly to the women first, and then he gives this long laundry list to the husbands, and he eventually addresses the children, and he addresses the outside of the home uh, to what you would call masters and slaves, which in our day, is called employee and employer. And so when you go back and you look at verse 22, 23, and 24, as he begins to address the wives, he's making a statement. Now, what you need to do in order to understand this particular verse we're going to hit, which is verse 23. Now, there's a word called head. You need to understand what that is. And then there's something in relationship to Christ, watch this, and the church. Then he says something uh, about what you would call husbands and wives. And then he mentions something called head and subject. Now this is as there's a relationship between Christ and the church. You must see it in that context. Now, there was something that happened at the cross right before Jesus died, right before he gave up his life. And there's something universal that will never change as far as order and desire. There's something that prevails throughout the whole universe when it comes to things like headship, when it comes to things like submission, 
when it comes to things like order. It prevails over the whole universe. And you can see it while Jesus is hanging on the cross. And while he's hanging on the cross, before some of the last words that he uttered, guess what he does? He made sure that John takes care of mom. Think about that. In agony, getting ready to give the last breath of his life, he says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mom. See, that principle of taking care, that principle of covering, that principle of responsibility has never left the universe, has never left mankind. And this is why. Because the same one that designed the human body of which man and woman are images of, the same one who designed the city that has so many ingredients in it all for the city to be a city, is the same one who designed the church and how it's supposed to look. Watch this. And the same one who designed the family. Same design hasn't changed. The same principles hold the universe together, so the same principles hold the family together. And because he dresses the woman first, and then the men second, and the children third, and then the masters and the slave fourth, is of no relevancy. Each one of them have a particular call and function on their life. And so the statement that I'm going to make for you today is this. When we go back to verse 23, because that's what we are concentrating on, the statement is this, is that biblical integrity, that means the soundness of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, brings functionality. Now, functionality to what? To gender differences. And there are gender Differences in the Bible. You and I need to be glad that men and women are different. I am glad <laughs> and will forever be glad that we are not the same. So biblical integrity brings functionality to gender differences, watch this, with subordination in the midst of equality. In the midst of equality. You know what that's mean? That there is biblical equality. But because the biblical equality does not mean that our functions are the same. And he's saying this. Biblical integrity brings functionality to gender differences with subordination in the midst of equality that prevails through the whole universe. Those principles is what holds us together. It is unfortunate that the world cannot hear this message today. It is unfortunate that this tape is not going over to all the four columns today. It is unfortunate that this university over here that prevails over this city is not hearing that message today. It's unfortunate that people all up and down in the I-25 is not hearing this message today. Because them not hearing this message today keep them bound up in a lie about men, women, Marriage and society. 
See, because if you want to know the truth, you need to go to the one who designed it. Are you with me this morning at all? It's important. Now, no matter how you feel, no matter about your experiences, it has nothing to do with your experiences. It's everything you do with God's design. And, and let me say this. You know, you know I, I gave an illustration several months ago as we go jump back in verse 23. Okay. I gave an illustration several months ago. And the illustration was from a guy by the name of, a guy by the name of George Burner. Now, George Burner is the top Christian research in all of the United States. And he wrote a book years and years ago called The Frog and the Kelp. Some of you may have heard the title. Some of you may have read it. But you know what the whole uh, symbolism about frog and the kelp is? The symbolism was that you can take a frog and you can put him in what you would call room temperature water. And that frog would hang out. And you can go back to that particular place and you can turn up the heat and turn up the heat and keep turning up the heat to the point where it is boiling hot and that frog will die in that water. You know what he's trying to say? He's saying that the church has gotten to be like a frog in a cat to where we become so what? Adjusting to the heat and the things of society that we get so wrapped up in it that we begin to die just like she dies. That's what he meant by that symbol. And guess what we've done? We've done the same thing with marriage. All of a sudden, we have allowed society to decide what marriage is. All of a sudden, we have put that in the hands of government. All of a sudden, we put that in the hands of our peers. We put that in the hands of our experiences instead of saying, God, what do you say? What do you think? Because you are the ultimate designer, and everything you've designed is consistent because once that breaks down, the whole world breaks down. Where is the hallelujahs in this room this morning? I'm just trying to preach the word, man. And so Paul had to speak into that situation. Because before then, all they had was what you would call Greek and Jewish writings about family, which was basically stereotypical. Because in those days, women were still looked at as second-class citizens, even though they had a few words to say. Paul is getting ready to write them something that they have never heard before. But what he's going to do is he's going to base it on what Jesus said in the gospel, and Jesus is going to base on what happened in the book of Genesis and what the consistency is going to be there. So when Paul hits verse 23, and he's still addressing the women the second time around, he says, wait a minute, I want you to understand what the word head means. I want you to understand what the word church in Christ means. I want you to understand what it means to be subject to something. I want you to understand that that word head is prevalent through everything that exists in the universe. There's always a head. But not being the head or being the head has nothing to do with your value. It has nothing to do with your identity. It has nothing to do with your words. It has everything to do with God's design. Are oh, you hearing me this morning? I just want to make sure. So when you leave here, you'll understand that these are not derogatory words. These are not words to somehow, because somebody has convinced you of something, these are words straight from the kingdom of God. And so what you're dealing with here is that the Bible tells us in Galatians 3, don't go there, uh, Galatians 3, 28, that there is no distinction between men and women when it comes to our identity in Christ. But there is distinction when it comes to functionality and how we are to function together. 
And so here's what I want to say before we jump off into these cross-references. Authority, freedom, submission are they, they cannot be separated. They're indispensable towards each other. You cannot have authority without submission. You cannot have submission without subordination. You cannot have freedom and authority and submission without each other. They all work together. And it's important for all of us to understand that today. And I want you to understand that when Paul is speaking to this situation, one of the things that he's dealing with is he's dealing with a language that has never been taught before, a household call. He's preaching to a day where there's a dominance of men and there is a what you would call non-recognition of women. To, to where he's saying, wait a minute, we're going to come in with this gospel and we're going to bring class and dignity to everybody. But the functionalities are going to be different so that the design can work properly. So Paul is dealing with that. And what's happening is the Jewish writers and the Greek writers don't understand this. The second thing you're dealing with is that you have a bunch of non-believers who look at this freedom, this love, and this following in Christ as something that's going to be a detriment to society. It's not going to be good. Because all of a sudden you're giving freedoms out here that, wait a minute, hold on. But what Paul is saying, look here, I want you to understand. Yes, we're free. Yes, we follow Christ. But I want the Christians, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to realize that their faith must bring relevancy to society. Their faith must be able to be something that they can live out and then become a benefit for our society and not a hindrance. So I'm writing this to you. I'm writing this to you to say this holds communities together. I'm writing this to tell you that this whole city's together. This whole state's together. This whole nation's together. And no other language had been written prior to that when it came down to men and when it came down to women. I want you to understand the power of these three verses as he speaks to women. He says, wives, women are who are married to one man. Men who are married to one man. I want you to understand something. Man is the head. Now, understand, in order to get this, you gotta understand what head means. No, 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 we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get to that in just a moment. But if you don't know what head means, then you don't understand what it means. Watch this, to be the head. <laughs> you don't even understand what it means to be a man. If you don't understand that word. Before we even jump into it, okay, I want you to know what Paul is saying to get the Ephesians and the people at Colossae and the people at in First Peter to understand a language that had never been preached before when it came to household. And what we're going to do is we're going to jump over. We're going to jump over to 1 Corinthians 11.3. Now, I dealt with 1 Corinthians last week, but this time we're going to slow down on it because in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, are the universal principles that hold all life together. 
You can't see that because what they're doing is they're talking about men and women. And the first thing that happens is because I don't understand it, all of a sudden there's a fight, there's picket signs, all of a sudden we're talking about equality. No, we're not talking about equality here as much as we're talking about functionality in the midst of equality. So the first thing Paul says is this. But I want you to understand. Now, we're going to stop right there. Now, if you want to understand the word understanding, you just take the word understanding and you flip it. I'll say it again. If you want to understand what the word understanding means, just flip the word. Instead of saying understanding, it means you need to be able to stand under something and comprehend it. You need to be able to get it. You need to be able to understand the wisdom that comes, the knowledge that comes with it. That's what the word understand means. To comprehend, to stand under, to know its weight, to know its value. Now, we're, we're going to stop right there and jump over to something in Colossians. Why? Because in the book of Colossians, it also addresses marriage and family. It also addresses men and women. You know why? Because in the book of Colossians, it talks about the supremacy of Christ. He's supreme. Now, don't forget in these scriptures, verse 22, 23, and 24, it's about Christ and the church, husband and wives, headship and submission as the Lord has designed it. Doesn't change. So when you go over to Colossians, here's what it said. Now I want you to slow down in your thinking. Paul says, I want you to know how great a struggle I had on your behalf. And to those who are at Laodicea, because he's not only talking to those at Laodicea, he's talking to those who Peter wrote to, the Colossian church, and the Ephesians church. And he says, hey, and for all those who are not, have not personally seen my face. Now, I've got to say something to you. I'm not there, but I want you to hear it. I want you to hear it because it's good for you. I want you to hear it because it's foundational. And then he says this. He says, look, you've not seen my faith that their hearts may be what? Encouraged. So when Paul wrote this to the church about husband and wife, he didn't write it to beat anybody down. He wrote it to encourage people. He didn't wrote it to build them up. Because the whole purpose of authority, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me real close. Authority has nothing to do with control. Authority has nothing to do or somebody being a boss. Authority has everything to do with the ability to do what you're supposed to be doing. Period. That's it. If I have any authority in this church, it's to train and equip and raise up and send people. That's it. Nothing else. So what he's saying here is that he's writing for the sake of encouragement. And then when he writes for the sake of encouragement, he says what? Have been knit together. Here's the foundation in love. Man, let me tell you something. If it don't come out of a love, man, it ain't worth doing it. I'm telling you, that has got to be the basis of any kind of relationship. That has got to be the basis of any kind of institution, any kind of structure. Any time of me protecting a woman, providing for my wife, or raising my kids, if it ain't coming out of love, man, I'm telling you something, it ain't happening. The Bible don't even recognize it. Because I'm going to tell you something that I prayed this morning in the first service. See, you can give without loving. Let me tell you something. You cannot love and not give. It's impossible. So, 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 so Paul is here talking about this. He says, not only love, 
but attaining to all that is what, what, what? All of the wealth that comes from what? A full assurance. Watch this. Of understanding. Now, 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 in that 1 Corinthians 11, 3, he says, I want you to understand. Why is he saying that? He's coming back in, Car in Colossians and tell you why understanding is so important. And then he says this, because understanding results, what's this? In true knowledge. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Knowledge and understanding can only be put together in its practical sense. Watch this. By the word of wisdom. You don't see this word in this sense. Here's what it says. The knowledge of God's mystery. What's God's mystery? The church. What is God's mystery? Family. What is God's mystery? The platoon. That's what it is. And he said that is Christ himself. That is. Everything that he says about a woman, everything that he says about a man, everything that he says about marriage, everything that he says about family is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. We never can lose sight of that. Ever. Not how you were raised. Not how your mom and dad raised you, good, bad, or indifferent, or whatever. That is experience. But it is based upon who he is. Based upon what he did. Not about how old I am. Not about what culture I came from. Not about what the government says. I get a hallelujah here in just a moment. But look at I want you to say something. It said, in whom are hidden, watch this, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Think about that. Hey, man, man, if I'm going to build this family of mine, where am I going to build it from? By how my mom and dad raised me, which could be good. They did some good things. But they didn't do this and they weren't so good. What I got to do is go to that word, boy, hold it. What did you say? What did you say a man is? What did you say a man's responsibility is? What did you say a woman is? What did you say a woman's responsibility is? Because all of that is hidden, what? In the treasure and the wisdom and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I have to measure it that way. So when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 30, I want you to first understand. What is he saying? He said, do you have any idea what you did? Do you have any idea what your responsibility is? Do you have any idea what God expects of you? How he's fashioned you to function? Do you have any idea or not? Are you going to let the world tell you that? Are you going to let the government decide that for you? Are you going to let pressure decide that for you? What are you going to do? So he had to write to the people at Ephesians, and he had to write to the people at Corinth and say, this is coming from heaven, not from government. That's where it's coming from. Now we can go back and we can take a look at 1 Corinthians 11, 3. Because we just gave you the first A. Now, here we go. We're getting ready to look at the rest. I want you to look at these three parts. Because anytime you talk about headship, you're talking about an authority. Someone 
that has the authority, watch this, to be responsible. Yeah. Someone that has the authority and the power to do it right. Someone that has the authority and power to know what the job description is. Follow it. <laughs> that's what the authority is given. That's, that's all it is. Okay, now. So he says this. Understand three things about authority. Understand three things about headship. It's this. Christ is the head of every man. Notice that principle. Here's the second thing. And that man is the head. Watch this. You gotta go real slow when you read this. And man is the head of, watch this, a woman. Period. Didn't say man is the head of all women. <laughs> Just one. That's it. Notice the third thing. And God is the head. Now let's break those down for a minute if we can. And then we'll come back and finish verse 23 of Ephesians 5. If that's all right with y'all. Okay? Because you got to understand what he's trying to say. You got to understand what he's trying to say. Okay? Now, what does he mean when he says Christ is the head of every man? All right? What he's saying here is that, number one, Christ is the firstborn of all men. Which basically means that when you look at the triune God... You see that God has a nature. It's a holy nature, spiritual holy nature. Guess what? The Holy Spirit has a nature, a holy nature, a spiritual nature. Jesus Christ is the only one of the Godhead that has a human nature. That means when God was going to bring man about, that man was going to look just like Jesus. That's what it's about. He's the beginning of every man. He is the head of every man. That means man, not only as a species, but man as an individual gets his identity, his value, his worth from Christ. That's what he's saying. And he's the head of every man. Now, I want you to understand this, okay? Because I'm going to tell you something about God being the head of Christ here in just a moment. But if man does not submit himself to Christ, he is doomed. Period. If man does not submit himself to Jesus Christ, he is lost forever. There is no other name given among men by which men might be saved other than Christ himself. Hallelujah. He's the head of it all. That's where you get your word. That's where you get your value. Now, 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 women came from man, but man has been coming from woman ever since. So the whole issue here is that man represents the species. So when Adam and Eve blew it, who did he come to first? Who did he hold responsible? Second of all, Sin did not enter into the world until after Adam did, not Eve. You need to understand this. Man, these principles hold all of life together. So when it says Christ 
is the head of every man. He is the beginning. And when God says that I'm going to what? I'm going to predetermine something. What I'm going to predetermine to is that every man when he eventually looked like Jesus Christ. That's it. But if he rejects it, when the Bible says that in Matthew 28, 18, 19, 20, I believe, with the Great Commission, God says everything has been subject unto his feet. Ephesians tells us that God has made the earth his footstool. That means man is subject to Jesus Christ, period. Okay? So that's what he's saying. That's number one. That's how it's represented. Here's the second part of how it's represented. It says, and the man is the head of every woman. Now, if man rejecting Christ is the beginning of his doom, watch this. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 31, that the doom shall what? Leave and cleave, leave their mother and father, cleave to each other, watch this, and become one person, one human being. You know what that says? That basically means this. If the woman does not take on the role of the subordinate party, here's what happened. The family is doomed. Because when you get two human beings together, and they don't become one. And one has to submit to the other, not in the sense of somebody's boss, somebody's rug, somebody's number one class citizen. That ain't what he's talking about. He's saying she must function in a subordinate role so that the family won't be destroyed. That's all he's saying. But yet, you've let the government You've let society, you've let TV, you've let all that stuff determine what those roles should be like. Now, now isn't it strange, just for a moment, stay with me for just a second here. I'm going to venture off, but, but my foolishness will mean something here in a minute. See, see, postmodernism has gotten us. Because the first postmodern statement has ever made, did God really say now, you guys wasn't even born in the early 80s, you know. I mean, y'all don't even know what that is. But do you know one of the most popular shows for a decade in the 80s was called The Cosby Show? More people looked at that show around the world than anybody else for 10 years. You know why? It was family-oriented. And in one hour, you had family, a crisis, and it was solved by the family. Think about that image. You know, Bill or somebody, some happened, you know, Vanessa, whatever, you know, Theo. But in one hour, you knew that family was going to solve that problem. See, postmodernism says big picture don't mean anything. Family problems are not solvable anymore. Why? Because we got Seinfeld now. We got friends. See, they don't solve problems anymore. Those problems continue on and on and on. Matter of fact, those are multiple families. Matter of fact, I don't even have to be married. I can do cohabitation, no problem. Men and women can live together. They can have sex. They can do whatever they want. See, because that has moved from leader to beaver, 
to Father Knows Best, to Donna Reed, to the Cosby Show. Now we got Friends and Seinfeld and family doesn't even exist anymore. And if it does, it exists by my definition. And what it's done is taken the second one because they have told us that women have no value now. So what they got to do is they got to fight for their right. Therefore, they don't have to respect men. Men don't have to respect women. They can do whatever they want. Now you got this whole big fight among men and women. And this principle right here has been what? Destroyed. So you destroy that. What do you destroy? The family. If the woman don't function as a subordinate partner. That's why the statement was made. Subordinate in the midst of equality. has nothing to do with your value, but it has everything to do with structure. Because mom and daddy fall apart. Guess who's next? The children. Guess what's next? The family. Guess what's next? The neighborhood. The community. The city. The state. The nation. Because that man is the head of a woman has been degraded as something that is depravity and not seen as the high quality. Soon another human being comes along the scene. Somebody has to be responsible. Individuality now has to move into corporateness. That's God's design. Okay. So you tell me in a business, you ever been a part of a business that had no head? Think about it. You ever been a part of any organization that somebody wasn't ultimately responsible for what went on? If you have, that's chaos. Okay? So, so, so this third piece is not as like the first piece. If man does not submit and be subjected to Jesus Christ, man is doomed. And if the woman does not take on her role, not as a second class citizen, not as somebody who's not spiritual, not as somebody who doesn't have strength, not as somebody who's not dominant or anything of that nature, but if she don't take on that role as somebody that realize I have to be in subordination to that guy because that's how God has made it. Why? For my what? Protection, for my provision, and for my promotion. Now, now let me put another parenthesis here. I've worked in businesses where the employees are much smarter than the boss. But he's still responsible. <laughs> Yeah, I've been on teams where somebody's much better than the quarterback or better than the coach, but they're still responsible. Don't change that. See? So it ain't got nothing to do with all that other stuff. Now here's the third one. So if man is the head of every woman, uh, if Christ is the head of every man, okay, and man is the head of a woman, and then God is the head of Christ. Now, how many times in the gospel, especially in the fourth chapter, verse 34 of the gospel of John, what Jesus, now I want you to understand something. I'll mention this word, 
Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah, who knew all, was everywhere, saw everything, all powerful. Christ says these very words. I am submitted to my Father, period. As a matter of fact, I don't do anything on my own initiative. As a matter of fact, the words that I speak are not even mine. They come from him. Now, this is Jesus saying that. Now, you mean to tell me that Jesus being God in the flesh is submitted to Father? What would happen if Jesus didn't submit to the Father? You know what would happen to us? We would be doomed for all eternity. All mankind would be destroyed. It's because of his submission that you and I have salvation. You see the principle? It's because of him that we have grace extended to us. Why would Jesus ask us to do something that he himself would not do? So think about it. Just, just, just think for me. Go back and look at this beautiful thing called marriage. Go back and look at this garden that was a beautiful garden. Weather was right. Temperature was great. Don't let your mind get in the gutter. These people were naked and unashamed. Man, they must have had It's just them and God. It's a beautiful scene. There ain't no guilt. Nothing. Adam and Eve are having fun. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And somebody comes along and says, hey, did he really say? You think about that, how messed up that became. And how beautiful it was before that came. How beautiful marriage is. How private. How secure. How productive. You think about that. That's marriage. Man, that was, that was a beautiful thing back then. Because when he brought last hour about 
this guy by the name of Othello, which was a Shakespearean character. And one of the reasons why I used that one was because I had to read about that growing up when I was learning Shakespeare in school. You know, and there were other things that Shakespeare wrote on. This was a fictional character. I don't know if he was real or whatever. I don't know. I didn't read that deep. I just needed to get a grade, okay? But as I began to read it, I saw this relationship mixed up in racial tension, seduction, deception, and jealousy. Most of it, if not all of it, was a bunch of lies. I'll close with this. How long are you and I going to keep believing a lie and keep living in it? Because what happened in that Othello situation? That dude believed a lie until he became a lie. And what we got to be careful of is that when the world keeps telling us that this is the way it's going to be, marriage is no more even among Christians. You don't have to do that. Sex is something you can have anytime you want, with anybody you want, for any reason. And marriage has passed We don't have to hold that truth. To deny the reality of marriage is to deny the existence of the universe. It's to deny the existence of mankind. So I want you to understand something. When he says this, and we go back now to verse 23, here's how we close it. For the husband, who is representing man, is the head, the key fillet, the one responsible to love, to give of oneself, and to nurture. And to love and give of oneself and to nurture his wife. For the two have become one flesh. Even though the priority is placed on the husband. Watch this. It is for the benefit of the wife. Even when the scripture is written, you need to take care of her and you need to treat her as a fellow heir. Even, watch this, as a weaker vessel. That word weak does not mean weak spiritually, weak mentally, Weak socially. Okay? It means physically, in the sense that you as a man are going to be a little bit taller than her. You're going to be a little bit more stronger than her. But in her weakness, the weakness is this she is like a cargo ship carrying precious, precious China. And she is fragile. She is to be protected because in her is life. Her body 
job is to protect that, promote that, and provide for that. See? So when he says he's the head, that means he should be the first in worship, in reading, in giving, and protection. That means he must provide, watch this, an environment that is sincere, safe, and strategic. It's a lot in that head. <laughs> that whole bunch of it. And also Christ is the head of the church. Now here's the last thing. He himself being the savior of the body. And there is nowhere does that mean he's her savior. Nowhere. That's God's job. The husband is not the savior of the wife. Christ is the savior of both the husband and the wife. But the husband is the protector and provider. So I close with this open statement. Again, it's called the purpose statement. In verse 23 and 22 is saying, Biblical integrity brings functionality to gender differences with subordination in the midst of equality that prevails throughout the whole universe. Your marriage should reflect God's design. Husbands, all the head. Wives understand what subordination means. And look out, family. Let's see the rise of the family again this year. We're going to close with communion here in just a moment. But maybe one of our prayers this year might be, God, please restore the family. Please restore husbands and wives back to each other. Please restore children and parents back to each other. Please, please, please put the foundation back up on the marriage where it belongs. That might be one New Year's prayer that we can pray. So let's uh, take up our offering here. Let's do that. And then we'll get ready for communion in the midst of that. Man, I trust that this was a good word for you today. A word of encouragement. A word that says, you know what? I've got, I'm sitting on top of dynamite in my home. Because I've got this man, I've got this woman that loves each other. I mean, that is the pillar of our home. That's what makes our home solid. Yes, Lord. We thank you. We bless you. We honor you. We love you. We submit to you this very day. Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say, Amen. God bless you.